We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Michelle Angela Ortiz, a visual artist, community arts educator, and filmmaker who uses her art as a vehicle to represent people and communities whose histories are often lost or co-opted. Through community arts practices, painting, documentaries, and public art installations, she creates a safe space for dialogue around some of the most profound issues communities and individuals face. Michelle tells stories using richly crafted and emotive imagery to claim and transform spaces into a visual affirmation that reveals the strength and spirit of the community. For 20 years, Michelle has designed and created over 50 large-scale, and I mean large-scale, public works nationally and internationally. She has received countless awards and recognition for her talent, bravery, and leadership. What I appreciate most about you, Michelle, beyond your amazing talent, is your generous heart and courage. You see big problems and find creative ways to bring awareness and resolution. I am in awe Welcome to ROG, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for opening the space that we can, you know, can share my story. And, and uh, I'm really excited to be here as well. Good. Me too. So could you start with a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, I am a child of immigrants, um, born and raised in South Philadelphia, um, near what is known as the oldest outdoor market. Um, in the United States. Uh, so there's a lot of hardworking immigrant families um, from many different places. And um, my mother is originally from a small town called Mompos in Colombia. So she left a small town to come to uh, what seems like, feels like a small town in a big city <laughs> in Philadelphia. And my father is originally from Ciales, Puerto Rico. And both of them, due to some of the difficulties around not having enough resources in their own home countries, like many families immigrated to the United States as a way of kind of changing that journey. And of course, for themselves and for their, for their family once they started a family. So I grew up in a South Philly row home, for those that know Philly and the row homes, they're small and tight and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we had seven people in our home, you know, from my grandparents and my other siblings and my, my parents were working all the time. Um, and my experience, I speak to this around like my foundation as an artist didn't really begin in art school. Um, it really was about being in my neighborhood and seeing how we gathered together, how we celebrated together, how we struggled as well right and um and so how did we create moments of joy and love and support um in the midst of those things uh and my gravitation towards public art um really came out of the fact that I didn't go to museums or galleries or 
as a child. Like I wasn't introduced to that until I was already like in high school and I had amazing teachers who saw the potential and the talent that I had and wanted to receive scholarships to be able to like develop that talent. So, you know, again, what was around me were the street murals or the way that a produce vendor placed their fruit a certain way or how the women in my family would dress dress up and decorate our house, right? Those are all, if you think about it, our installations and ways that we express ourselves um, and not in what is known as like the traditional format of what we consider or define as art. So I, I come from all those experiences that feed into my perspective, right? As an artist. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I want to double back on your mom in a moment, but I think it's interesting about how you learned how to draw human figures. <laughs> so could you tell our listeners how you learned how to draw? Yes. Well, I, again, I, I didn't have any art training early on. And if you, if I were even to rewind further back when my mother, my mother worked on uh, the daytime, she had three kids, you know, I was the middle child, so three kids. She would work in the mornings and then would work in the evenings. Um, both my father and my mother worked in these big buildings in Center City cleaning, um, cleaning out offices, cleaning big spaces. Yeah, I, I tell people my first sketchbooks were the scrap pieces of paper that my father would collect and my mother would collect from cleaning these offices, pens, papers, just anything that was basically like kind of discarded. And back then we weren't doing much recycling. And so that became my first, those were my first sketchbooks, right? I had access to paper. My parents supported, you know, the fact that I was really interested in drawing. And I don't remember this, but my, my mother said that her, the moment that she realized that I could draw was at when I was about three years old and three or four years old. And I would leave her little notes because she would come back home at like one o'clock in the morning from uh, cleaning these offices in the evening. And I would leave her little notes, um, before, you know, when she would come back home and I did this drawing of like Minnie Mouse. And she says to me, she was like, Oh, I thought she's like, you traced this the next morning. I said, no, no, mom, I drew this. And so I drew it right in front of her. And she was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like you can draw very well. And, um, and it was and no one else in the family, as of I know, people do or do some things. I have some cousins that draw, but like not to the extent that I was doing it. And um, and so fast forward as a teenager, you know, we would spend our summer. There was no funding to go to summer camp or, you know, it was like I was home and um, I was just engulfed in comic book characters. So I would look at uh, my brother and I, we would purchase, you know, Marvel comic books. And, um, and that's how I started learning about anatomy, um, how to think about just, you know, the proportions and, and shading and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I I started with, with that work. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. (laughs) And for those who are listening, who are not yet familiar with your work, could you just give an example of the kinds of ways that you have leveraged that talent professionally? Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of projects. I think for me, it's really about how do I, as an artist, utilize my work as a tool for advocacy? I don't like the term um, giving voice. I I rather just say amplifying voices because everyone already has a voice. Um, it is around um, 
figuring out ways to have something that's really strong and powerful, but has an impact beyond than just being beautiful, right? Uh, a beautiful piece or transforming a space. Um, and so some of the projects that, you know, I've done, I've done shorter length projects, meaning a few months where I've been as a culture, United States culture envoy, and I've done training with local artists, not just in the process of making large scale murals, but also in the strategies of community engagement and thinking about ways in which we can be mindful of how we are good visitors, being mindful of the, around the issues of like ethics and responsibility, right? As we're coming into spaces and working with communities, it is about balancing that power, right? We have individual power, but we also have collective power and how do we identify that? So that then manifests into many different ways. So it's training with local artists, uh, facilitating sessions with community members mm-hmm. around really specific issues and sometimes very difficult topics, right? And how to do it in a way that it is about what are the solutions that we want to see? What is the change that we want to see versus just focusing on what the problem is? Um, so I, I say this because um, people see the final product, which is could be a mural, could be a temporary installation that's like a reproduction of a painting on vinyl, for example, on the Capitol steps in Harrisburg, which was like a 80 foot long installation that, um, you know, I, I did. And uh, it could be a projection mapping. It could be um, a series of light boxes. And um, uh, right now I'm work doing a lot of work in my community and I'm revitalizing produce stands and creating more light boxes and working towards um, things that are more interactive um, with the community. So, the, so the, the end product manifests in different ways, right? Um, and that's really dependent on the space, the resources and what medium can be used, even film, um, you know, and, and the, the short films that I've done is really just kind of bringing that forward, right? Bringing the story mm-hmm. forward in a way that can reach as many people as possible that maybe an installation might not, right, for that moment of time. So I think that um, I say all of this because people see the final product and they don't necessarily really understand all of the work that's been put into place, the trust building, the relationships, the mm. connections, the, the hurdles, right? Obstacles. Cause with every work that, you know, you do there, there's, there's self-doubt, there's fear, there, the hurdles that um, are present and it's, you know, all of that work that goes into it. And um, I think if anything, I try my best to share what my intention is. I think that's really important when I speak to other artists who want to do this work within communities. Sometimes it does come from a place of good, right? Of just like, I want to do good and I want to be able to offer this. But the question is, does the community want what you want to offer, right? It could be an amazing, beautiful idea, which sometimes I, I even fall into that, like, oh my gosh, this would be great. And then I speak to community members and they're like, yes, that's great, but we actually need this. We need A, B, and C, right? And so it's like having that balance of like, what you're willing to compromise, how you can adapt. And then I've been in other settings where I'm just, I do my paintings. I do my own individual pieces. I've shown at, you know, uh, do an installation at the Philadelphia Museum of Art or other galleries and museums. And and so that's really like still guided in that same process, but it's definitely a lot more like I'm 
I'm kind of making those final decisions. So I, I would just say it's very layered, the work that I do. And I do it with a lot of, like, if my heart is not in it, then it's very hard for me to produce it in the way that I would like it to, right? And then in terms of the advocacy, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, when you're entering a community, it's understanding what are the resources that are available. And that includes honoring the people that have been doing the work, right? So in a lot of the work that I've done, specifically my longest project that I've done um, that lasted many years, about eight years, I believe. So 2013 to 2021 is my Familia Separadas project, which translates to separated families. And it was in response to the increase of um, undocumented immigrant families being detained uh, and, and being affected by deportation. Um, and so this work, this body of work, which was has been like really intense and kind of manifested into three different phases, was really around also building with organizers, building with people who are already in the immigrant rights movement and working with them and finding ways in how these installations, this work that I'm doing directly with families um, that are affected by these issues um, can serve as a tool of advocacy. And I would say that um, I just kind of like took that step further. I had already been mindful of that in the work that I was doing, but learned so much from the organizers and the families who were fighting, you know, for, for just the right to, you know, seek safety and a better life for their families. So, um, so even just in terms of organizing strategies, um, and like when an, when, uh, an installation would be unveiled, uh, how would it coincide with, let's say the elections our governor elections, right. To bring more consciousness around, this specific issue, um, how to do it in a way for me personally, right. Um, to bring the, uh, the lens of the mother, the son, the daughter, the father, um, to have that connection, more human connection versus statistics or, um, kind of, uh, what, what tends to happen or just kind of like the political, uh, language um, that sometimes again gets lost in just understanding that this is a person, this is a human being. And so how do we reinforce that connection through, at least for me, the work that I was been, been putting out. So that's just one uh, example in terms of a project that has evolved and has many iterations, but has required a lot of work and time. Mm, absolutely. And bravery, right? For you to have those difficult conversations. I mean, I think even the way that you interview a lot of the members of the community or in people who are impacted by some of the, you know, unfairness that has been happening in our country. And I noticed that most of your pieces, at least the ones that I've had the opportunity to see, it, you focus a lot on the eyes. Yes. You know, you focus on individuals' eyes. Like, uh, d- tell us more about the reason well, for that. Well, I mean, I think in the case of Familias Separadas, um, you know, I was working with family members that um, were still concerned about revealing their identity. They were still mm-hmm. in the process of trying to um, achieve their asylum status um, in this country. And I feel that... Um, what I was able to do in terms of focusing on the eyes and still having the presence of them in their work, in the work itself, uh, 
was to still find ways to kind of still represent them. So that was, that was one of the kind of like the strategies around that. Uh, I think that was also the other reason why I created the documentary Las Madres de Burks, which highlights the stories of four out of 14 mothers that were detained at the Burks County Residential Center, which was a family prison that detained families uh, that these 14 mothers, for example, and many other families with their children. The 14 mothers that I'm speaking about were detained for close to two years. And the four mothers that are featured in the film were the mothers that eventually were able to get out of the prison. One of them was deported back to El Salvador after being detained in this prison for two years with her son. And at the time, her son was six years old and he had two suicide attempts while he was there. And that's just one out of many, many cases around human rights abuses and the issues that uh, the families have dealt with during their time that they were there and they fought. And I, I think if, you know, when we talked earlier about like having the courage, you know, I, I feel like the people who have the real courage are these mothers, are the community members, are the people that are out there um, just fighting, you know, for, for just, again, basic human rights, you know, their right to, to migrate, their right to provide a better life for their families. I know that this is like the same kind of phrase, but it's just so incredibly important. Even I was doing this work during a time where um, my son was just, you know, a few years, like three, four years old. The children I saw at the prison were the same age as my child. And so I, I when I share with people that I, I had to, it was like about a 45, an hour 30 minute drive from Philadelphia to Berks. And the drive was necessary because I needed to kind of center myself so that I can be present for the families. And then the drive back was also for me centering myself so I could be present for my son, right? Um, Because when you see this injustice, when you see how families are being treated, um, and in the midst of all of that, uh, you know, these mothers were still finding ways to have their children feel safe and supported and supporting one another and having faith of, yes, I will, I, you know, uh, Lorena, who was one of the mothers would say, the next time I speak to you, I'm going to be out of here. And then it eventually did happen. And I just like the hairs on my arms are standing up because it was just so, so amazing to see that. And now she's here and she has her asylum status and her children are with her. So I think for me, that inspiration of bravery comes from really the families. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And it was eight years in the making before it was actually closed right in January 23, the Berks County Immigration Detention Center closed. But as you know, we have read and understand like the work is far from over. And I think, you know, sometimes even individuals don't realize that this type of thing exists in our own backyard. You know, we, we often think of immigration at the border and we think of like Mexico. And so we think, you know, here we are in the state of Pennsylvania, a state that you and I share in common and that we have these facilities that have been imprisoning people for years and um, the mistreatment. And so I think that advocacy like yours and the ways in which you've been so intentional about how you're leveraging your talent to 
tell a story, to bring awareness, to amplify voices. Um, I just think it's really remarkable. I mean, I, I think in terms of uh, Burks too, is that um, when we look at the Burks family prison, um, it was really meant as a model to replicate in other smaller counties in different states around the United States, right? And um, and so, I, like you had mentioned, a lot of Pennsylvanians didn't even know. I mean, we do have immigrant detention centers still, but did not know even about Burks and also that there were children that were being detained there. I think, too, is the fact that even though the center is closed, what we can look at now in terms of the work that the Shutdown Burks Coalition has done, which is the coalition is a number of different organizers, lawyers, uh, allies that have formed and have, have continued to fight and work with the mothers in shutting down Burks is a prime example of how organizing can work, right? And I think also with my documentary, Las Madres de Burks, which people can still access and still utilize as a tool. There's a facilitator's guide that's attached to that work, uh, to the actual film that's bilingual. And, um, and I think it serves as an opportunity for people to not only just see how art can play a role in advocating, um, but the film itself centers the stories of the four mothers um, and them speaking in their own voice, not through a campaign, not through a lawyer, not through even myself, right? Um, having the mothers, I met with the mothers individually as they were released um, and they were not all in Pennsylvania. So I was able to go visit them in these different, um, their different cities and follow up with them and have them share their stories. Um, and I think for, for most of them, it was the first time for them to speak and share their stories and how important it is for people to now see this documentary um, see the work that uh, was put into shutting down Burks as a as an example of what that collective power that I mentioned before can actually make a significant change. Um, and so, for other people around the nation or even globe, because globally, because we're also dealing with those border issues in other countries as well, you know. Um, I just invite them to come and see the work that we've done as if they're, if they're dealing with the same issues of strategies and how they can do not just exactly the similar work, but um, find ways and what serves them in order to help them make some positive change within their communities. Mm, I love that. And we'll make sure that the link is in the show notes for those interested, but Michelle, have you, how have you seen, institutions, school districts, otherwise leveraging the documentary and the facilitator guides? Yeah. So as I mentioned, as an, as an artist, you know, I think for me, what uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, the title artist is, is something that is just what I say that I am, but I think overall I'm very much a storyteller. And so for me as you know, I know, I understand what the power of the story is and can be right and and sharing this point of view and so what i have seen within we did about um i want to say over 28 screenings in the state of pennsylvania i believe in 2019 so right before the pandemic hit and that was universities community centers um faith-based organizations we had a mix of people that um were on the fence around what it means to come into this country and didn't really 
fully understand the difficulties that a lot of families have faced. Um, a, a kind of an audience, an audience who gets it and then not quite gets it, but is interested enough to come and to listen. And I'm really mindful of that because I respect the fact that somebody is wanting to hear these stories and wanting to know more and be educated around these issues. Um, and I think that that was one thing that the film was able to do um, with the help of the coalition. So every time I did a screening, I always made sure that I had an organizer from the coalition present to then share with people ways that they can take action. So there were letter writing campaigns, there were uh, lobbying dates, there were marches. There was even a, a group that was formed of like different artists that could do posters and designs mm. and graphics. And, and so that was really exciting to see how many different ways people can be connected and mobilized. Um, and and so I, I feel that mm -hmm. the film uh, and even the the installations that I did in, in Harrisburg in uh, phase two of that, I think it was 2019, 2018-19. My, my years get blurred. <laughs> and uh, was just really presenting these issues in a very different way. That was not a billboard. That was not another campaign. It was really around something that like caught people's interest that took mm -hmm. over a really physical public space um, that made people kind of stop and question, you know, like kind of the screenings are people are making the, the intention to go and to see a screening versus if you're walking to work and you happen to see a huge installation and you're like, what is this? There's another way of kind of engaging people in that way. Um, so I feel that, yeah, I, with these universities, um, and, and different settings, as I mentioned, uh, people were, it's kind of like, how do we move people from feeling connected to the mothers, listening to their stories, having all of their feelings of like anger and sadness? And, and then how do we move that into a place of action? Right. And that's something that I was very grateful for the organizers because we were able to figure out a way that we can bridge um, kind of those feelings into a space of action and then say, okay, now you can do A, B, and C. These are the ways that you can take, that you can take action. So um, I saw a lot of that happen, which was really great. Excellent. Oh, thank you. And this is what I meant when I talked about that in your introduction is that you have found creative ways to educate and activate um, in a way that's inclusive, like you, you, like you said, you recognize that people are in a range of awareness, and you know this. This brings up a lot of beliefs for people, and very often people just don't have adequate information to understand the issue. It's such a complex issue, and but it's human lives. So I think for you to like zero in on the stories, like you said, you're a storyteller. I think that's another reason why you focus on the eyes so much because it's like the story, you know, like they say that your eyes are like the windows to your soul, right? So that you connect with these human beings and their and their experiences and their challenges as a parent and as, just as really as a human. And like the compass that you created in City Hall, um, that's just another thing that I want our listeners to go investigate and learn more about because it's just a beautiful piece of work and just so thoughtful and like where you placed it and how you designed it. Um, it's just really magnificent. So our 
episode is a part of our Hispanic Heritage Month, a month that we want to celebrate, amplify, learn about voices in in the Hispanic Latino community. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what are some of the things that you think are important for people to know and respect about the Hispanic Latino community? Yeah, I mean, I I think that... um... Well, you know, within the Latino community, and I wouldn't say specifically within the immigrant community, because that has been my experience as, as a child of immigrants, is that uh, the narrative or the story is always gravitates to our labor or how hardworking we are, how committed we are. And so I think what gets lost mm. in the conversation is really around our our spirit and and our, our awareness, um, I feel, at least for me and the people that I know and I connect to the community, our awareness of the the importance of our ancestors and honoring our ancestors. And not so much in the case of, you know, there's the traditional within the Mexican immigrant community and Central American, this is the Day of the Dead celebrations. And so, you know, now that, you know, you, we have these like Disney movies of like Coco and everybody's like, oh, Day of the Dead, like, and like kind of become something very superficial versus, you know, I feel in my own culture, you know, beyond, I think overall, right? So when I say Latino, it's like, it is large, it's encompassing, you know, like folks from the Caribbean, folks from South America, folks from Central America, Mexico included, like it, it is a large, expansive, you know, kind of net <laughs> that I'm throwing out there. Um, but I, I think what I've found is just the acknowledgement of our ancestors in the sense of um, I'm very conscious when I'm walking into privileged spaces that I am not walking by myself. Right. And what I, what I mean by that is um, especially when I, I'm going to give you an example. When I became a Kennedy center citizen artist, I was part of a cohort of, national artists and um, artists from all over the U.S. It was an amazing experience. So shout out to the Kennedy Center folks. Um, and, uh, and it was just, you know, it was just so beautiful. Yeah, I was nominated and then I was able to, to be part of this. I didn't even know that this uh, cohort even existed. And I remember walking into the Kennedy Center in Washington. And uh, for those who have been in the Kennedy Center, there's like a huge, it's just like a huge red carpet with like chandeliers, open space. And I felt very small at the moment, right? I felt like it was very overwhelming for me. And I felt like, you know, here I am thinking of myself as, which I still am this person, right? The little girl in South Philly who would climb out of my brother's bedroom window to sit on top of our kitchen roof and just draw these uh, comic book characters for hours just to kind of escape the world around me, right? Like I, I always say like our my kitchen roof was like my sanctuary. And so I was like, here I like this little Michelle in this huge space that felt like very different than what I'm accustomed to, right? And I had to just stop for a moment. And I thought about my mother and I, I like pictured my mother. I pictured my father. I think there's a, there's, um, it might be my Angelo who's, who spoke about like, you're never alone because your ancestors are walking with you. Right. And so I just remembered at that moment, just be like, who is with me right now? And so I'm, I'm taking these steps and I'm moving in this space. And it was very emotional for me too. Like I, I can speak to it now, but like, I, 
I remember later sharing this with the cohort and just crying because I just think about the struggles not just of my parents, but even of my grandparents. You know, my my grandmother was a single mother of six children, a woman of color in the Caribbean coastal region of Colombia. And in the 1940s, like, like incredibly hard stories, but even in the midst of that, still finding love and joy within that, right? And so I feel like when I when I am in these spaces, when... I tend to feel small is then I have to focus on who is with me and, and just, I can kind of like get back to my normal, (laughs) my normal size and walk through because I am, it's not just, obviously I've learned how to work hard. I've also learned how to be grateful and value everything that I have around me and see people beyond than what, we usually see them as, right? So walking into a space and knowing that that janitor, like my father, has a family and has someone who loves them, is, is someone that there's someone that he is working hard for, right? And the cook has learned ways to like prepare food in the same way that my mother did with her, with my grandmother, right? So it's like having a kind of like a, um, a wider lens of what is around me and trying to be as present as I can and, and the gratefulness of that and also um, the responsibility of it. So when I think about honoring my ancestors, it's not just placing an altar, lighting a candle, saying a prayer. It's through my actions. It's through understanding that, yeah, I have to step it up because I've had so many other people work hard and sacrifice and there's no no time to feel small it is really a time of like moving forward and taking action and so that's that's one of the things that i feel at, at least within the network of people that i have and or that that identify as latino latinx hispanic you know there's that sensibility of that sacrifice and and that like push that goes beyond ourselves. Yeah, I feel that that's something that I just want to honor within my culture because it's been, you know, it, I, have my, I have my moments and I do really get emotional and it might seem very, I wouldn't say insignificant, but it's just like, oh, you're just, you're just walking through. And it's like, no, it's, it's understanding what it took for me to even stand and be here, right? And, and, that, and that is huge. Oh my gosh, so huge. I'm like... So moved and I'm feeling what it might have felt like for you. And just the way that you've described that for us just took us on a journey. So thank you for that. Um, It's so beautiful. And I just love the things that you're talking about here about, you know, working hard, being grateful, that we're never alone, that we have responsibility. So it's like, yes, take in that gratitude and just, you know, use it as fuel then to like, be on a mission for how you're going to be the spirit for those who come, you know, beyond us. And um, I just think that's such a beautiful way to talk about the culture, honoring your ancestors, being aware and reverent toward the spirit of those ancestors. And then one of the ways I wanted to double back on your mom is the piece that you created that was your mom, your grandmother, and your 
uncle. Yes. <laughs> You're the spoiled child. Uh, but the way that you described your mom's piece of art, you, you called it full of light and struggle. And I just thought that duality of just like, you know, it's a, it's like a human duality, but the way that you like labeled her art that, you know, I wanted to just hear a little bit about the light and struggle. Yeah. Um, well, my mom, you know, she, uh, as, as I mentioned, she was one of six children. She, I've, I've done other pieces of her. Uh, I actually did a most recent piece highlighting her with three other Philadelphians, um, as part of the new commissioned work that I did for the Philadelphia Museum of Art for the new, uh, I believe I'm going to massacre this title. So I'm, I, I, I won't say the title, but it was an exhibition highlighting Philadelphia artists. It was to inaugurate the like opening of the new contemporary wing of, of the museum. So it was just huge to be a part of that exhibition. And so my mom is really an amazing inspiration. Right. I, and like I had mentioned to you, you know, there's, there's people that I follow that I'm inspired by. And, and it's usually also artists who are doing, who are like doing the work, right. It's not so much of like, we've made it, but like, I'm inspired by people who are still in it and pushing through and doing the work. But, you know, if I were to say, what is, what is one person I'm really inspired by is my mother. Um, so she, she grew up in, Mopos. She speaks to, in the, in the last iteration of the piece that I did of her, which was highlighted at the museum, she spoke about um, having insecurity in housing. So not even having a home. So my grandmother, she, what, she, what my mother remembers is that for 10 years of her life, they would move from one house to another, to another. My grandmother with her six children. So they were technically homeless. And with the charity and kindness of people within the community, my mom remembers that, right? And learned that there were other people around the world that even in the midst of what they were dealing with and the struggles, that there was always somebody who would lend a hand, who would give food. And my mother is that person. My mother is the person where if somebody's in need, if somebody is uh, hungry, if somebody needs support, she is that person that will lend that hand because she witnessed others do that for her as a child. So uh, both of my parents, again, didn't have access to uh, an education in the same way that I was offered and now I'm offering to my son. Um, so re they really started working when they were about eight or nine years old of age, right? So like, that's how old my son is now. And um, and so that so I tried to... So with, with an elementary school education, um, my mother eventually was able to leave Colombia, come to the United States around 17, not learning any English. She came in February. So Colombia and where her hometown is, is, you know, it's like usually like 100. A cool day is 80 degrees. So she came in the middle of the winter to Philadelphia, I think after a snowstorm, right? And it was just totally different for her having to learn a new language. Um, all the row homes looked the same. So she would count the row homes so she wouldn't get lost. <laughs> and, uh, and so even throughout all of that, she has been able to raise her three children, have a stable home, you know, take care of the finances to the point where my, they're okay in terms of their retirement, which is huge because a lot of, folks that are 
immigrants that arrive in the very same conditions that they have are not in the same position and they still have to work, right, in order to make a living. And so my mom was just very smart and strategic, but also was someone who, when I had told her I was wanting to become an artist, uh, I was very scared to tell her, right? Um, and she already knew that I was going to go into an art career, but we were looking at like being a graphic designer or something that was like more in the corporate world. Yes. And I was like, I can't do this. I have to do this, this other thing. And so I was afraid to tell her that I was going, going to go into fine arts and I was just crying and upset. And she just hugged me and said, she said, I will support you. And I know that anything you put your mind into, you will succeed and you will, because, because you will work hard. And to have that reassurance and for folks who have immigrant parents, like to tell a parent that like, hey, I'm going to be an artist. When I had the qualifications to become a doctor, a lawyer, you know, any other like stable, like good job quotations. Nobody could see my quotation marks, but I'm making quotation marks. So to, to, to have someone who still to this day believes in me to then just see the possibility of just, just to understand and witness the possibilities to always say there's, there's a way, here's a problem. Let's figure out what the problem is. Think about it. Let's figure out a solution. Like this is what I do in my daily practice, even as an artist, right? It's like, I want to do an installation on the Capitol steps. How am I going to make that happen? I need to find ways to create some unity within my community, right? And through my R market project. And so there's different personalities, different, you know, and so how do I do that? How do I connect with people, right? You know, all of those strategies, you know, um, uh, even even around the social justice stuff. When my, my father belonged to a union, uh, a workers union when he was working. And, and both my parents, if there were any unjust working situations, in their workspaces, they would stand up, even if it was someone else who was also treated unfairly. And I learned through their actions, right? And so I think that sometimes people ask, where does come, where does come from, right? My parents don't necessarily identify themselves as activists, but there are people who will stand up when something is not right. And, um, and so it, to kind of wrap it all up, <laughs> is the fact that, you know, I think some of these qualities are things that I continue to use. Like I am a product of these two people that even despite of not having enough, enough access to education and the resources, they've been able to achieve so much. And so that got, kind of goes back to what I was mentioning around the responsibility, right? Of just like pushing forward and because they've worked so hard for their families that for me, it's just, I've, and pushing forward in that way and also connecting, you know, um, with so many communities that either come or, or have similar experiences as I do um, is, is a way of giving back as well. Oh, I love that. Thank you. So at the end of every episode, we try to review what are some of the things that our listeners could do based on what they heard. You know, they may not make an 88 foot you know, piece of artwork on the Capitol steps, but they might apply some of the other things that they've heard you talk about. So here's just a couple of things and I'd love for you to add to it. One of them is to amplify the voices of others. 
you know, not that they don't already have a voice, but how can we amplify these voices? Share your intention. I thought that was such a key thing that you said, you know, for all of us to apply, how can we be more overt and clear about what our intentions are with the things that we're working on? You talked about working hard, being grateful, that understanding that you're never alone. You know, how do we bring our ancestors and those who love us with us? And then you also talked about the respect offered to and identified um, for everyone. You know, you mentioned like the custodian or the cook or the whomever, like these are human beings that are, are loved and love others. And how can we respect that? And then the overcome self-doubt, you know, you talk about how we have to really believe in ourselves and, and, you know, face the fear and do it anyway. I mean, what else would you add to that, Michelle, for like a practical application? I think to regarding when I talk about some of the, um, work within community, I think people kind of get overwhelmed, especially when they're big issues. Like when we talk about immigration and attention, it feels like a huge big issue. But I would, I always tell people, whether you're an artist or just an organize, want to be part of the organizing is find out what's going on in your community already. Figure out, you know, what is a local church? What is a local group that is doing? Attend those groups, get some information um, I, I tell people a lot, especially artists, because artists are the ones that I speak to around this issue, um, when they want to partner or work with other people, like, are your values aligned, right? I think understanding when I, before even sharing my intention, I need to know what my intention is, right? And so taking the time to really think about, well, why does this interest me? Where is this coming from? How... Do I have a personal experience that connects with this? Or is this something that I just want to learn more about, right? Um, I, the example that I give is, you know, I am a child of immigrants. I am not undocumented. I am not a mom. I, I, I'm not, I don't have the same experience as the mothers who were undocumented asylum seekers that were detained in the prison. So I'm very conscious also of my own privileges, of my own positioning, and that's really, really important because we need to also, people are rushed to like take action when really what we need to do is to listen, is to gather information, um, is to ask questions and really find, okay, what is in within my, my toolkits, right? So yes, not doing an 80 foot long installation, but what are your skill sets, what are the things that you can do? You know, if you're a retired teacher, you know, how can you give access, uh, let's say sharing liter literacy skills for new our new Americans, right? Um, are there ways that, you know, um, uh, you know, navigating, uh, I know artists, for example, that was um, sharing ways that uh, refugee families um, can navigate the city, how to take the bus, how to grab the, you know, get a pass. Some of these like really basic um, skills, which are not always accessible, right? And so I, I just say, do not be overwhelmed and think about the ways in which you can take action. Um, I think for folks that are in a position of resources, right? Um, you know, beyond than just uh, donating, Right. I think another huge thing is around 
what you're doing right now? Is there, are there speaker series? Are there ways that you can invite people to share their stories? Are there ways that you can support a fundraising um, event? And, and even with artists, um, whether it is the artists that are dealing with specific uh, social change issues, right? Um, how do you not only just provide a forum, but share their work? Right. I, I think that the, the very it, it's a small but very impactful action is sharing someone's account and saying, you know, follow them, listen to this person or check out this work that I encountered. Um, it just is it's huge because I think that some people just, again, equate helping as here's a donation. But there's so many other actions that can be taken into place that can still have a huge impact on that person. So start, start where you are is where I would um, want to leave people with. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. So encouraging, practical, and helpful. <laughs> so as you have closed your TED Talk titled <laughs> Amplifying Voices of Families in Detention, I honor you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon, for opening the space. And thank you to everyone that's listening to us too. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.